Hi everyone, and welcome to Leukemia Chatters. I'm Justin, the senior videographer here at Leukemia Care. On this month's episode of Leukemia Chatters, I spoke to Heidi Redford. After giving birth to her second daughter, Heidi began to experience night sweats and was overwhelmed with fatigue. A few months later, Heidi was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, AML. Heidi, thank you so much for joining me today. So to start us off then, how did you receive the news of this diagnosis in 2021? So I actually um, noticed I was extremely tired was my first thing. But obviously having a six month old, I was none the wiser. I just thought, oh, it's nothing. I'm just tired because I'm up with my what was five year old and just day to day life. I thought, oh, it's fine. I'm just it's normal. All my mum friends were like, oh, it's fine. But I was tired to the point where I was almost napping every single day. And it got to a point where I was a bit like, is this normal? And I kind of almost was second, like questioning myself. But probably a couple of weeks later, I started off with night sweats. And I was, again, I was questioning what, I don't understand why I'm waking up like full of like sweat, even when I was kind of walking. Obviously, yes, we were coming into like summer months, obviously pushing a pram, it does make you kind of sweat anyway. Um, But it was almost to the point where I was a bit like, this is kind of excess to the point where it felt uncomfortable. Um, And then it wasn't until probably a couple of weeks later, so probably early October, I started noticing bruising, but the bruising was very different to normal bruising. It was, it was all over in places where I thought, oh, I haven't knocked myself there. So like up on my upper thigh, I was like, how have I got a bruise, a bruise there? It would, it would have to, somebody would have had to have jumped on me or dropped something in that area to make it that big. And it didn't go. And then I kind of was um, getting a few more bruises, bruising. The tiredness was still there. The night sweats were still there. And my husband started like saying, oh, can I just take a photo? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. So we started kind of almost, you know, recording what I what I was going through. Um, and then it wasn't for another probably even it's, it sounds bad, but it wasn't for another couple of days. I started to get kind of like, not a rash, but it was kind of like little dots on my upper arm. And I was like, oh, okay, that that's strange. So then I thought, no, I need to call the doctors. So you had this persistent tiredness then, but understandably, you chalked it up to being a mum juggling two young children, which is such a common thing, I think writing that off as something more innocuous and, and not wanting to assume that it's anything more serious. You do. You write it off and you put it to the back of your head and you carry on. You're a man. You just roll with it. You carry on. You don't think anything different because your main priority is, one, your oldest child and then your new baby that's just arrived. So I didn't think anything differently. Um, I think the worrying thing was the bruising the tiredness and the night sweats yeah wipe you know write that off (laughs) that's nothing but it was and i didn't realize that these unusual bruises then you mentioned how their placement was unusual but 
Yeah. How was their color? Were they sticking around for longer? Not, what did you yeah, notice? So yes and no, but they were extremely dark. So when they got to a point where they were very um, prominent, quite big, um, they were very dark. I was almost like, oh, that's not normal. And they weren't, they weren't going. It's like normal bruising you would have, it changes color, doesn't it? And then it eventually goes. Um, this bruising wasn't going. Um, and it actually did stay there for quite quite a while after I was diagnosed as well. So, But for you then, this rang alarm bells, it sounds like. And then combined with this petechiae, this, this fine red rash that you spoke about. It's fine, yeah. And they were like, and I had actually them on um, both arms, funny enough. So when um, my husband said, oh, him, he was actually the one that prompted me. He's amazing. Um, he was like, oh, I think, you know, you need to call the doctor. So obviously that telephone call was during kind of COVID time. So it was only an over the telephone um, conversation. But because we had obviously going back, we had taken photos. So then photos actually came in handy because she could see the progress over what was which sounds awful and I regret now not going earlier, but over weeks um, and then alarm bells rang and she said, could I come in for bloods? But the problem, because um, it was COVID, the blood test <laughs> wasn't actually until the following week. So um, my husband left it after that um, telephone call with the doctor and she said yes we do need to get bloods done um so obviously with covid and everything my husband was like no i don't think that's acceptable with how you're looking this isn't you so he actually called them up and persisted uh, a blood test for the next day um and we actually got that and luckily we did um because obviously that yeah that blood test that day that evening i was obviously then sent into a and e wow your husband made some really great calls then in those days like having those photos taking the photos of the bruises and having those kind of in your back pocket for the telephone appointment because we've seen with the telephone appointments some of the challenges that come with them is being able to fully articulate and fully describe the scale and potential severity of what you're experiencing and what's going on with your body. It's so hard. As well as being able to identify what you, what you should be talking about and realising what you need to be flagging with your healthcare professional. Yeah. Because obviously without that visual element, thing, things could be missed potentially. Right. But really one of the top tips that we say and how to make the most of these appointments is having photo evidence that you can send to kind of help provide that visual element. And it Definitely, sounds like you guys yeah. navigated that telephone appointment tremendously well. I, I think you almost, I think you almost think you're going to sound stupid, like silly, because it is, you know, calling the doctor and saying, Oh, by the way, I have tiredness, night sweats, and I have bruising. You know, like, obviously, yes, now I think about it, that that's not normal. But again, being a mum and Joe being my husband, being a dad, he was, we were both in the same fault at the start. Oh, tiredness is down to the kids. Because I do, walk, I, I walk everywhere. So I was walking 
four times like to and from school and her school's a good kind of 20 minutes away so again I just thought oh it's just that and it's just extreme tiredness and so Joe managed to persist then and achieve this earlier blood test on your behalf which is an amazing thing to be able to get a hold of and crucial for your diagnosis yeah I think he's very persistent with things um and he knew that his obviously myself his wife was not right and he wanted to get things kind of moving um because as you as a husband I think if I were if it was me I would do the same and I would kind of persist because if you've not got a appointment for another week you know my I seem to be I was getting ill very quickly and we did couldn't work out the problem I was very weak and it stuff just wasn't adding up at that time so yeah his persistency um made me have <laughs> blood sooner than later so Leukemia Care's informational webinars are about the topics that matter to you, whether that be the current news in COVID, the latest developments in treatment, and much more. You can hear from patients and healthcare professionals alike, providing insight on all things leukemia. Watching it live even lets you post questions directly to those panels. Find out when our next webinar is scheduled by heading on over to our social media or our website. Or to watch those you've already missed, check out our YouTube channel. So after this blood test, then you got a call back later that evening, I believe. Yeah. So um, I was obviously I was not expecting anything to come about, but um, just quickly going back to that day, I went in for my bloods. She um, took my bloods, perfectly fine, and then she said to me, "Oh, I'm going to give you your flu vaccination." And I said, "Oh, okay, like that's fine." So anyway, she went and set it all up and. When she, as soon as she put the needle in my arm, all of a sudden I got this almost, I suppose, like blood bruise came up straight away on my arm. It was really strange. So when she put the needle in, it came up just here and it was like immediately. And she, she did like, when she was looking, she was a bit like, oh, um, okay. And, but she obviously didn't say anything. I kind of didn't question it. I just thought, oh, maybe it was almost a bit sensitive there um but yeah so that evening just feeding Isabella getting dinners ready I had a few missed calls and I was like oh oh gosh some, somebody's trying to get me it was a private number so I put my phone on loud and the first person that came through which it's not unfortunately but at the time I did think oh my goodness I would have preferred to have spoken to the GP first it was actually the consultant um so, yeah, that was a bit of a shock. And she said, oh, Heidi, you need to come straight over to A&E. Um, and obviously I was then questioning what, what, why, what's wrong. And she was like, well, we think there's uh, some sort of like blood disease. We're not sure we need to like look into it. We need to, but you need to come into hospital tonight. She said, you need to, I then obviously was like, well, do I need an overnight bag? And she actually then said, I suggest you pack for a couple of nights and I was like oh okay so obviously I packed kind of a few bits was very emotional at the time um 
But the problem that we had now is obviously the girls were having dinner. So I needed to find somebody and that was um, my brother in the end. And then he rushed straight over and took me up to A&E. But obviously, again, it was COVID. So nobody could come in with you. So <laughs> out comes my big rucksack and I carried it in and went to the desk. And I was full of so many like emotions because I did not know what to expect. So I was kind of a bit, yeah, I just said my name, who had sent me in. And then I think with a matter of kind of, it was kind, it was hours because obviously, again, it was the evening. So, but I was very much so like first priority. Um, so they fitted a cannula straight away and I was a bit like, oh my goodness, okay, this is, this is something serious. Um, and then I went into a, like an A&E bay and I think it wasn't till kind of like early hours of the next morning, I then got put into like, um, not a haematology ward, but like almost a waiting ward. Within a couple of hours, the consultant came down from the haematology ward and she expressed that, yes, I had some sort of um, blood disease, but they were obviously unsure of what I had. So they needed to do a bone marrow biopsy. And during that time, I did actually know what a bone marrow biopsy was um, because I had been following the azalea story at the time. So obviously I did know a little bit about blood cancer, but even though it was happening to me, I didn't think that it was that. Um, so anyway, I knew a little bit about that. And again, wrongly, I looked at Google. <laughs> yeah. Wrongly, I looked at Google um, and obviously I was very emotional and I was trying to explain to my husband what it was and he, I think he obviously then looked it up. But after they told me that I was going to have a bone marrow biopsy, it was only kind of maybe like two hours and then they took me into like a side room and they'd done the biopsy, um, which, yeah, being a first-time biopsy, it was, um, yeah one that I'll, I'll I'll never forget it um but again I will say now with time I find have found it has become easier because I know how to deal with it more and things but yeah so once I had the bone marrow um biopsy done I actually went into a hematology ward um into a side room because I was I wasn't the youngest there but I was young I was they were still trying to diagnose me. They didn't know where I was. Obviously, they do normally have kind of wards and you would kind of go into like a ward bay sort of thing. Um, so that was the Thursday was the bloods. Friday, I had the biopsy. Um, and all they could tell me still at that time was, you have a blood disease. We need to wait for a couple of days to find out Um what it is the earliest we'll probably know would be Monday so over that weekend it was very like mixed emotions I was kind of happy I was in hospital worried because I didn't know what was going on um worried about the kids worried about Joe I couldn't have obviously visitors at the time um Joe could come up but um I think we were kind of going to wait till the following week when we knew a bit more um so yeah just during that time it was it was I was very up and up and down 
I kind of thought, oh, no, it's probably nothing, but why am I in a haematology ward? Is this something, you know, you, all them questions kind of go through your head. So, yeah, so that Monday morning I woke up and um, my best friend Holly actually came and sat with me um, during my diagnosis because during that time again, the kids were at home. It was very awkward. We couldn't get childcare. And I said to Joe, stay with the girls. They they need you. Um, so my best friend Holly, she came over and um, I think she kind of knew. She kind of had a bit of a, a feeling. I could tell when she walked in, her face was kind of like, let's make you happy before you be diagnosed, <laughs> um, which was lovely. Um but yeah, at four o'clock, um, the consultant walked in and uh, two other nurses. So at that point, when as soon as they walked in, I just knew something was up. We obviously spoke for a little bit after, uh, at first. And then she went, <laughs> this is the consultant. She went, Hayley, you have AML and my name's not Hayley. <laughs> Bless her, because it did make me laugh afterwards. And this is why <laughs> I have to laugh about it, because when she called me Hayley, I was I kind of looked at my best friend and was like, and she just kind of, we just kind of, have you got the right person? Like, are you sure you're diagnosing the right person here today? Um, so, yeah, so obviously um, she was at the end of the bed with another nurse and then um, the kind of like ward manager so she is a nurse but ward manager came and sat next to me and my best friend was holding my hand and I looked at her and she said I've got you and that's why it always makes me cry because I you know telling that is like quite um but yeah she my uh Holly said oh I, I've got you and I just remember her saying Hayley you've got AML acute myeloid leukemia and I kind of almost like I was st so still faced because I was in shock, but I wasn't. I, I I knew something was obviously wrong. And then the CNS nurse stood at the end of the bed and she said, oh, um, Heidi, you, you know what that is, don't you? And I, I kind of was, I didn't really say anything. So she was like, you've got blood cancer. And I was like, wow um I, I kind of just went oh, oh okay and literally this was my face I was just going yeah okay uh, okay and um they were like obviously they said many other things after that but I did not hear anything um I I just sat there and I was thinking oh my god my girls are at home and I'm now being diagnosed with blood cancer um so obviously they then walked out um, and as soon as they walked out, Holly, bless her, she jumped on the bed and just all my emotions just poured out. Um, and yeah, she just was like really hugging. I can just remember her like really hugging me tight. And um, she said, oh, um, you know, I've, I've got you. And I was, I, I kind of was like, yeah, yeah, trying to pull myself together. So after a little while, she said, oh, um, what do you want to do? Because during that time, I couldn't get through to Joe because he was um, going to obviously jump on the call whilst they were kind of telling me. And I, I said to her, I can't, I can't tell him. I don't know what to say. Um, so whilst um, 
because I said to her, I just want to pull myself together for a bit. She said, well, I'll go and call, obviously, Joe and let him know. Um, so, yeah, she obviously did all that. And then we kind of came, pulled ourselves both together because at that time she was so brave. Um, she came in and then we just had to laugh about the Haley, <laughs> the Haley situation. Um, obviously, I will say she did correct and come and apologise and tell my name was Heidi. Um, but yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Heidi. I know telling the story of your diagnosis isn't always the easiest thing. So we really do appreciate your openness and your honesty. Yeah. And on that day then, it was you and it was Holly. So how did yeah. you share the news with your husband, Joe, then of your, your diagnosis and this news? So obviously he found out via um, Holly. Um, she, what well, I said, obviously I wanted to pull myself together, um, and she said, "Do you, would you like me to tell Joe?" And I said, "Yeah, I would." Um, so she did, and um, she came back in. And while she was gone, I remember thinking, all I could think about was my family. Like, what if um, I had all these questions and. I was like, you know, what's going to happen? Um, anyway, I remember her coming back in and she said, oh, I, I've told him and such and such, he's going to call you in a little bit. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, that, like, that's fine. I can deal with that, I'll, you know. So obviously we then went on chatting and it was eventually time for obviously her to go because you at the time you was only allowed um, our visits. So obviously we had already really gone over our hour. Um, so I remember sat there and she had gone, there's nobody there. And, um, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, a, I'm alone. And that's all I could like, like I felt alone. I wanted the kids. I wanted Joe. And, um, then obviously he eventually got around to calling me cause he obviously had to process it himself. And, um, I remember him calling up. And it made me feel so positive because he was so understanding. He was very positive about it. Um, he was like, you know, we'll get we will get through this. The girls are with me. You know, they're my number one priority as well as you. you. But re remember, you look after you and I'll look after them. And I think that's almost what I needed to hear that. Even though obviously he is my priority as well, but the girls very much are and I just needed to hear that to then be able to then go and move ahead with the next steps to almost get myself through it that somebody else is looking after them um so yeah he obviously was very emotional um but he kept it very to himself um he obviously did cry but very much so was would pull himself together um, for my sake, um, as well as obviously um, the girls. So, yeah. So we didn't really, if I'm being honest, we didn't really talk about any of the negatives um, that could happen. I think that kind of was at the back of our minds. We were thinking going forward, um, getting through it um, and almost getting to that, you know, end of the tunnel where we are kind of touch wood now. Um, so yeah. Mm -hmm.
What are you planning to achieve this year? Does it include free-falling from 15,000 feet? Maybe flying on a zip wire is more your thing. Join Team LC this year, raising vital funds, as well as your pulse rate. We'll support you all the way in raising the money. The question is, are you brave enough to take on the challenge? Simply search online for Leukemia Care Zipwire or Leukemia Care Skydive to find out more. And bringing us up to today is a great point to pivot at because this month, Leukemia Care has launched its Leukemia Levy campaign. We're calling for greater financial support for leukemia patients up and down the country. A leukemia diagnosis has always brought with it an impact on a patient and their family's income and incurring additional costs on a patient, be that through hospital travel or energy bills. And now with the cost of living crisis, these costs and these financial impacts have deepened even further on patients to the point where we feel there needs to be greater government support to help leukemia patients afford the cost of leukemia that there is today. Uh, I bring this up with you because last November you accessed Leukemia Care's Cost of Living Fund and you can you can speak to the impact of a leukemia diagnosis on your finances and to the potential benefits of accessing financial support. So if you were to sum up the financial impact on your diagnosis, what, what would you say it was? You get a diagnosis, you deal with that. You then deal with the fact that, right, I've got treatment now. You then deal with the fact that, okay, now we're having a cost of living crisis, yet there's no actual help and you have to seek other options to get help. Like I said, leukemia care came up at the right time and that, you know, and it, it was, I almost feel like I'm glad I saw it now because yes, I might have ummed and ahed about it and thought actually are people, off, people better off, you know, needing it than I am. But I don't think people realise that until you're actually stuck in it with a, with everything around you that's going on, I'm so glad to hear that the fund had a positive impact for you, Heidi. So circling back to something you mentioned, so what was the actual cost of travelling to the hospital? Like, What did you experience? Obviously, yeah, if you've got to go there once, yeah, not such a big, it's, it's not a big deal because you think, you know, yeah, that's fine. But going up there every single week, paying petrol, paying parking, and it is so... It's so expensive. Like, I don't think we realised how much it would cost um, until we started travelling up to London. And obviously, we're actually nearly two hours away. So you can imagine how much we kind of use maybe £30 of petrol going up there um, and obviously back. And then obviously, there, yes, there is a little bit left. Um, but um, par- uh, parking, that's like £20, but that's only for four hours. I think we were spending a ri- like when we first went up there, like I don't know, probably like sixty, fifty pounds a day, like just to go up there. And how much have you had to spend on your energy bills recently? Definitely, this Christmas we found that our gas has been ridiculous. So at the moment, and this is going to sound like a lot, but I can show you all the like little ticket things we have actually spent on gas nearly £250 a month. What do I choose, really? What do I choose? Do I choose a bit of heat or do I choose food? 
which one do you choose? How did your diagnosis affect the income of your household? You and Joe together, what was the impact? Joe was obviously originally full time. As soon as I was diagnosed, he basically couldn't work at all. So um, they they were amazing and they did pay him for the first, I think it was the first couple of months they paid him full. Um, it then obviously dropped down and then eventually they couldn't pay him at all, which obviously, my goodness, that's absolutely fine. And we were thankful for what they gave us because they have been an amazing support to him. Um, but financially, it was, okay, what do we do? There was a period of time where financially, yes, his work were amazing and paid him for as long as they could. But there was a period of time where there was no work income coming in, um, which we are very much used to. You know, we both have worked full time, you know, full or part time all our all our working career. So, and we've touched briefly on you accessing Leukemia Care's Cost of Living Fund last November. How was that experience for you? Can we afford to keep going up to London? Can I afford gas? realistically no i can't and it is hard and i have to you know hold back on what we buy so yes i did have to ask and um yeah it was very much appreciated and very helpful because it went on the travel up to london and then it put some money onto our gas that we did not have at the time because i find myself more and more going on to the emergency on the gas and thinking i only put that on there four days ago like 50 pounds does not go far and then you go into your emergency and then you're thinking okay now i need to find more but that almost kind of came up at the right time and it did and yeah it was very appreciated and we're very thankful <laughs> and so now as part of this leukemia levy campaign leukemia care has a petition calling for extra government support and funds to help leukemia patients afford the cost of hospital travel and to help with these rising energy bills. To the people listening out there, why do you think they should sign this petition now? I would say if anybody's on the fence of signing the petition, um, I think especially myself, if the shoe was on the other foot, um, I would sign it as you don't know basically what's around the corner. Um, I wasn't expecting to have a diagnosis. I wasn't expecting to have to travel to hospital every week. Um, I wasn't expecting the extra financial costs. So I think if you were to do one thing, I would definitely say to sign it because you don't know who you're actually going to end up helping in the long run. I think if the problem's not dealt with now, then when will it be dealt with? Heidi, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been a real pleasure and really enlightening hearing about your experiences and the impact of your leukemia diagnosis. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. No, lovely to teach you too. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk or call our helpline on 080 88 010 444. See you next month.